You are listening to SelfDiscoveryRadio.com with an orchard of wisdom just ready for your picking, filled with illuminating, inspiring stories. Do check out the community and the discovery stores. We are here for you. Our next show is The Wellness Journey with Linus Wood Mullins. Welcome to the Wellness Journey podcast series, Changes and Transitions. You know, the reason why I created this series is that we all go through changes and transitions. And sometimes it's helpful to know what the results or the end results can be in these transitions, especially as we go through the changes and transitions of midlife. As you know, I specialize in working with women over 40, and they have so many stories to tell, stories of change and transition that has ultimately enhanced their life. And one of the things I love about working with women over 40 is that they bring so much wisdom and so much knowledge and shared experience to our lives that I can't help but want to tell their story. And that is the case with who we have with us today. This is a remarkable woman who not only has written many books, but she has a beautiful story to tell that involves her daughter. She had a special needs daughter who recently passed. And during this time when she was with her daughter, she'd been motivated to write many books, but her latest book um, is called The Letters That Were Never Sent. August Pentagrew has done some beautiful work. Not only are they beautifully illustrated, but they also tell a story of a mother's love for her daughter, unconditional love, and how she's been able to put the pieces of her life back together. She's with us right now. Thank you so much, August, for being with us on the Wellness Journey podcast series, Changes and Transitions. It's wonderful to have you today. It is such a pleasure to join you. Thank you for having me. Tell me a little bit about you and how you came to uh, become a writer. I have always loved writing and I think most writers their first love is actually reading <laughs> um, in order to be a writer you must first learn to read and it was the love of reading books that probably and gave me the most inspiration and encouragement mm -hmm. and I just love the places that writing could take me the places reading could take me um, it just opened up my creativity, my imagination. It also helped me to understand me and explain me when I couldn't understand the emotion, the changes, the transitions. Read something good that's um, apropos to where you are in life, and it gives you just a better, clearer understanding of who you are, and it helps you define you know, what you want for your future. I, you know, I love that because that's one of the reasons why I always encourage my clients to journal because it really takes you out of your head and gets it down on paper. And when you go back and you look at things, many times you can see the transitions and how you've changed and how you've grown and how you've endured. And it's kind of self-motivating when you read your own writings and kind of begin to have a different perspective from the outside looking in instead of always from the inside looking out. Now, yeah. tell us your story. And I know that you were a public servant for 36 years but during that time you had a powerful testimony you were the mother and care provider uh, for a, uh, a little baby girl uh, that ended up being born with special needs what was her situation what happened what happened um, you know the birthing process and everything about the first um, year of her life um, went through normal milestones normal development 
But then you noticed um, she started um, falling off the curve of normal, meeting these milestones. And the long story short of it, it took um, a lot of doctor visits with a lot of specialists to finally get to the root of what was going on with her. And it was determined that she had a neurodegenerative condition called Rett syndrome. And um, there's eight defining characteristics to this syndrome. And as I'm reading and learning about this, she's right before me displaying every single characteristic. Mm. And it just involves a whole staff of medical and healthcare professionals to help assist you at every phase of her life. You know, that's amazing. When you first found out that your daughter had Red Syndrome, what was your initial thoughts? What process did you go through in terms of your transition into realizing that you had a special needs child? Um, one of the most critical things when I first realized this and was learning what it was all about and what it was would entail, you know, you go through that why me question. But until you found find out who you are and why you're here, you always question things from that perspective. And then later on, once you mature and find out why you're here, how you got here, why not me? Because you will learn from the circumstances that you didn't um, see coming. And one thing that I learned early on from having a special needs child is the empathy and compassion that were, you know, within me were not awake, not alive, mm. not used to help anyone else. It was just sitting in me dormant because it had never been activated. So this child was placed in my life, in my care for, I mean, to help me blossom, to help me see who I am and who I was meant to be, and now because of the whole total experience of that, I um, advocate for so many people um, on so many different levels for so many different reason, reasons, and it just feels good and wonderful to be more in tune with human beings and their needs. Yeah, you say um, when you were you know, preparing for this interview, one of the things you wrote to me was that your life's mission is to never stop working and encouraging and inspiring and motivating people. And one of the things you've done is written this wonderful book, The Letters That Were Never Sent. What is that book about? That book is about, um, I was having a reflective time. And some of the people that are mentioned in that book are no longer living and walking on this earth, but yet they had a significant impact in my life. So the letters that were never sent are actually letters addressed to these people telling them what they meant to me, how they have influenced me, encouraged me, and gave me a sense of purpose and a sense of direction, although we've never met mostly, um, we've not met face to face. A few of them I did know, um, but for the most part, they are a, a group of people that I have never met, but yet they left such a lasting legacy with the way they lived their life. They're still having a broad reach and broad influence because of what they left behind. 
You know, it's interesting because I truly do believe that God places within us everything that we need for this journey here on earth. And it is the varied experiences, both good and bad, that gives us the tools that we need to be able to thrive and survive along the journey. When you think back on your experience with your daughter, what are some of the things that you can share with our listeners when it comes to the process of caring for someone that you know eventually is going to pass away as a result of uh, their illness? You know, you just help people live their best life. And you have to have a very clear understanding that we are all different. We are all uniquely made. Um, my daughter's life was much different than mine. Her needs and activities were much different than mine. And um, understanding that is at the whole root of how you're going to get along, how you're going to interact. And, you know, at the point where you, the, everything that this little person needs is dependent upon you providing it, you really have to work to figure out what those specific needs are to that individual person. And you do it cheerfully and happily because they have no choice. They need the help. They're not able to do it on their own. And so in a sense, you have to sometimes set yourself aside and put that person's needs ahead of your own and figure out how to give them what they need to keep them healthy, to keep them comfortable, and to give them some sort of uh, uh, entertainment, uh, let them interact with you to the extent that they're able to. You have to try to get into their world because they cannot get into yours. And so you have to find a balance on how to do that. As a caregiver, I know that one of the things that can happen is that the caregiver can get ill as well. I, I think I mentioned this to you once before when we were talking earlier that um, my sister's godfather uh, was mm -hmm. taking care of her godmother and mm -hmm. uh, she was very ill, almost passed away. Um, as she was beginning to recover from her illness and getting better, uh, he began to not feel as well himself, but he still kept going. He still kept taking care of her because he was the caregiver. Mm -hmm. One day he went to sit down to read the paper while she was taking a nap and he never got up. The caregiver ended up passing away. And many times, because no one knew he was really that sick, he never went to the doctor. We didn't know exactly, his heart just stopped. We don't know, you know, what was really wrong leading up to that. But it really made me hone in on the idea of the fact that the caregiver has to do a better job of taking care of themselves. What did you do for your self-care when it came to making sure that you were okay so that you can, t can continue to take care of your daughter? It, it, it was an amazing journey, as you mentioned. Um, you know, in the beginning, I knew of God, but I was not close to him. Mm -hmm. And as I got to know him better and understood my life better and my purpose better, everything that I was involved in and responsible for got easier for me to take care of and, 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 and just keep going. So number one, it was prayer. Prayer helped because I had to believe that there was a purpose and a reason for the people, the situation, circumstances, and everything that had been placed in my life. 
It was there to teach me a lesson. It was there to grow me. It was there so that I can be an example and a model for everybody around me. And um, the other thing that helped me, um, not only talking to my higher power and getting instruction and advice from, from that source, um, it allowed me to become more meditative. And, um, you know, sometimes I have to intentionally step away from um, work, chores, care providing to just find me a focus-centered place. And I do that through meditation and prayer. And, you know, you let your mind just rest a little bit so that your heart can slow down. So, you know, you can just have that period of rest and refocus so that, you know, your energy can, you know, refire so you can keep going. But you have to take breaks and they need to be meditative, reflective, and just centering yourself and control your breathing and learn to relax and just do that a few minutes every day. And it just helps ease all physical symptoms, all stress, all anxiety, and all fear. So, you know, prayer and meditation for me go hand in hand. And until I knew who to pray to, and how mm -hmm. to pray to, did I learn how to um, do meditation? So my meditations aren't always, um, you know, through a program or principle, but more or less just sitting still, focusing on God, and then just centering my, just being aware of my mind, my body, my soul, my spirit, and letting them relax and breathe at a steady, consistent space pace. You know, that's interesting. That seems like such a simple thing to do, but so many of us do not do it. Or some of us try to do it and we can't quiet our minds and thinking of all the things that are going on. These days, we have so many distractions. And I think that is, is key because there are so many distractions. There is so much going on in the world around us that um, you really have to pick and choose where you're going to put your time and place your time and know that you can't take on everything, you know, and you have to break down your day. Uh, sometimes it has to be 15 minute increments because, you know, you could get lost. You could get lost because there's just activity all around all day, every day. And you really have to just break your day down, sometimes 10 minutes at a time, 15 minutes at a time. Sometimes an hour at a time can be too much. And so just, you know, monitor your pace and just refocus as often as you need to. That's so true. Uh, many times we don't re-feel uh, we just keep going and going and going and even sometimes keep going on empty until something does break down. How did you refuel your jets? What did you do for yourself to keep yourself going? Other than when we talked about meditation, what other things did you do to keep yourself going, especially when you were feeling the frustration of um, you know, being the parent of a child that wasn't necessarily going to get any better? Yes. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you sit there and, and you know that and you realize that, but you just don't want to spend a lot of time thinking on that. Mm -hmm. But you have to be able to look at the beauty in everything. 
And there's times, let's just say, you know, you're a care provider and, and the person that you're responsible for is having an extremely bad day and you've done everything that you possibly can think of, everything that you know to do, and, you know, you just have to walk away or step away and just hope that they can eventually relax and calm down. And, you know, there's times where you have to step away. And I find that what helps me is to, if it's, I like weather, any kind of weather. If I can just take myself out of that room for just 10, 15 minutes, just step outside, look at the sky, see if there's a butterfly going by, see if there's a squirrel running up the tree, but just go see something beautiful um, in nature, of nature, and just to be distracted for a few minutes because you do have limits as a human being when you're a care provider. You know? Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about that. I'm looking out my window right now, and um, I am very blessed to have a beautiful uh, view outside my window in my prayer room slash office that I work from and record out of and pray in. And sometimes I just stop and look at the beautiful creation that God has given us to look at. And we take so many of these things for granted. It's amazing when you get out there and go for a walk. Not only is it great for your body to be walking, but it really does renew and restore your spirit if you allow yourself to look at where you're walking. When we're driving, we're usually looking straight ahead. If yeah. we're riding, we might be looking to the right side. Not We're not looking at the left. We might be looking straight ahead or talking to the driver. But when you're walking, you can't help but really look at the world all around you. And it is a form of revitalization and renewing of the spirit if you allow yourself to be led as such, especially if you're taking a walk in nature at a park or if you're blessed enough to have a neighborhood with trees and things like that it's just amazing in fact there is a chemical that comes from uh, the foliage of trees that connects with our bodies in such a way that it helps us to feel uh, healing properties it's, it's restorative uh, studies have been shown that this chemical that comes from the trees helps to renew our immune system and gives us an overall better feeling of well-being and just taking that time in nature especially as a caregiver is something that can really restore and re-energize your spirit to continue doing what it is that you do yes and, and, and I think that's important, too. And, and, and during those times, you know, and we all need to take those times, okay? Mm -hmm. That is paramount to um, a positive, energetic life is to take that time. And um, we have to seek happiness and peace. You know, you have to seek it out. And you're never alone in anything. And, you know, just talking to one another, you know, reaching out when you're like feeling kind of strange, different, you can't quite, you know, figure out what is going on that you're up, down, all over the place. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, reach out to people, reach out to a person and, you know, just learn that you are never alone, never by yourself. And, you know, before I even do reaching out, sometimes I'll talk to the Lord first and let him make the person that is going to help me calm down and recenter myself. Let mm -hmm. them be available for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's little things that you do. One, you reach out, talk to people. Two, you get out there in nature like we just talked about. 
But we have to understand that, you know, our true peace, our true joy does not come from another person. We have to seek it out. I'm glad that you mentioned that because that's very, very true. And that brings another um, thought to my mind. I know that um, caregiving, based mm -hmm. upon just other things that I've talked with with other people that have been on this show and we talk about this, caring for their elderly parents, for instance, caregiving mm -hmm. can really make some drastic changes in your lives and in your relationships. What happened with your primary relationship while you were going through this process? Um, I was in, it was just me and my child in the house. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I had to do everything. I had to do it all. But mm -hmm. thank goodness, you know, at the peak and the height of, you know, her illness, I had a job where, you know, I earned time off, you know, for vacation leave, sick leave, and all that type of thing. Also, um, you have to know that there are community resources that are available to give assistance. And mm -hmm. especially when it comes to children and your elderly parents, I mean, a lot of us are so protective. It is hard for us to accept help from outsiders. Mm. But, you know, you just pray and make the best choices and the best decisions that you can because you cannot be on duty 24-7, 365. You have to have help. This is true. And, you know, no, as they say, no man or no woman is an island. And you certainly can't do um, all the caregiving and be, you can't really be all things to everyone. You can't be all things to everyone to someone who's well. So you especially cannot do it for someone who is, is not well. How did you begin the process of preparing for your daughter's death? Well, you, you have to um, understand, and I mean, sometimes you just got to break it down to the basic, simple fact that, number one, all of us are going to die. There is nobody that lives a physical life forever. So, except that we are all going to die. We get to make a lot of choices and decisions about the quality and the quantity of things we're going to do with the life that we are giving. Mm. When you have a person that you know has a terminal illness or a terminal condition, you just um, sit all fear, depression, anxiety, and such. Sit those things to the side and not think too much about tomorrow because it's not even here yet. So don't focus on that. Focus on the right here and the right now. And you give the person you're taking care of um, the best environment they can be in. You know, light candles if they're okay with, you know, the scent and the smells. Do those little things that bring nature into their room if they're not able to go outside. Mm -hmm. Let there be natural light shining in. You know, play soft music in the background. Read to them. There are so many things you can do that give peace, that give comfort. You know something about the person you're taking care of. So you know the things that would give them soothing and comfort. And even if you don't know that about the person, just imagine for a minute you're in their place. What would you want the care provider to try? 
to give you peace, to give you comfort, to take your mind off of pain, to take your mind off of, you know, uh, the pending situation. And we must not look at the pending situation as doom and total tragedy. There is beauty in every single situation, in every single circumstance. And sometimes you just need to sit there and have a moment to say, I am so grateful for this person. I am so grateful that this person came into my life, into my world. I'm a better person because I'm doing something that I never thought I would be doing, but yet and still, I am able. I was chosen. I was picked for this. You know, that's a beautiful and amazing way to look at things. And it really does put things in different perspectives because, again, God does give you all the tools that you need to be able to make it through this journey because as they say, he already knows what's going to happen. So therefore he has placed within us those things and people, places, experiences that fine tune us to be able to deal with some of those things in our lives that are difficult. Now, as your daughter's illness progressed, you made some decisions that I think are just awesome. I, I, I don't know if I could have done some of the things that you did. Uh, tell our listeners what it was that you began to do as your daughter's um, condition began to worsen. Yes, and, and, and let me start with, you know, most people have heard this phrase, God does not give you any burden that you can't bear. Mm -hmm. What does that really mean? Do you know burden means love? You know, burden means being responsible. So he doesn't give you anything you can't handle. Although it may seem, you know, most people will translate burden as something hard, something sad, something that's just overwhelming. But burden is something you bear out of love. So I love my daughter. I would do anything for her. Okay. You love your parents, let's say, hypothetically, they're aging, they're sick. You love them. You would do anything for them. That is love. That's not a burden to care for them. That's really love. Yes. Okay. So with my daughter, you know, um, I'm going to just take a little liberty with the whole situation. Um, when we realized the significance of her illness, she was very young. She was a very little girl. And I asked the doctor, what was her life expectancy? And he told me eight. And I said, wow. So, you know, we keep plugging along, keep plugging away at life. Next thing I know, my daughter's 15. I said, so what do you think now? Well, she's getting good care. Her care is excellent. Medication helped. And so, you know, it could be, you know, years. It could be, we have no idea. And I said, oh, and what happened after she was 15? That is when I really, truly had a very good relationship with God understood more about him. And that is the point when I let go of timetable and expectations. I didn't, it didn't matter to me what the life expectancy was. What mattered to me is the quality of life I was able to give her with all the help, services, resources, and everything that was available to me. And ultimately what happened with my daughter, you know, she started getting sicker, other health issues arose, and at the very ends of her life. She lived to be 30 years old, Glennis. Oh my God. <laughs> and so what happened the last probably year of her life, um, 
you know, there was nothing else that could be done for her. And we basically went into comfort care. That means giving medication, you know, just to help her relax so she could rest and, and, and that kind of thing. So um, what happened, um, she was in agonizing, excruciating pain. And I was feeling like a zombie because the care level, she was not getting long intervals of sleep. So I was up and down all night, all day. So was she, up and down all night, all day because she's uncomfortable, can't rest, can't sleep. And so one day it was so bad, I went to the ER with her. And the emergency room doctor says to me, what do you want me to do? And I looked at him like, you're the MD. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> and so after that, I went home and I knew it was time to call hospice. Mm. So once I called hospice to help us, hospice came to the house and hospice is great. It's wonderful. And what happened when um, she was at home and hospice is a whole team, nurse, chaplain, uh, a CNA, I mean, you name it. So it's a group of about, and a counselor. So it's a group of about five or six people. Mm. And they were coming at regular intervals um, all during the day. And it was like making myself available so I could coordinate with them what needs to be done and also be included and involved. That was a whole nother thing because at the time I was still working. And so my daughter's condition wasn't really improving. And even with hospice coming to the house, it was still taxing on me because during the night hospice wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they were available by phone or whatever, but being there, I was still up and down all night, all day, you know, being available, being involved, being a participant. So ultimately, at the very end, I decided to put my daughter in a facility. And that was the best thing because now what happened when I went to visit her, which is pretty much every day, <laughs> mm -hmm. when I went to visit her, I got to sit down and just play soft music, you know, light a candle, read aloud to her. I didn't have to do so much of the chores associated with care providing and caretaking. Mm -hmm. I just got to sit and relax in her company. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, you know, I mean, there are people, and um, I mentioned this in the book I wrote about her called Starless House. I mentioned the fact that you cannot ever judge another person by decisions and choices they make. It is all up to the individual and the people involved because there are people that, you know, say, oh, I would never put my loved one in a care facility. I would never. It was the best for both of us. And mm -hmm. like I said, I would have done anything for her. But she got to a point where I had to cry out to God, God, I never wanted a career in medicine or health care. And I feel like I am so out of my, my zone, my specialty, my area. This is something that is overwhelming me. And that is the point where I knew I needed help. And believe it or not, here's another perspective. You know, remember, um, one of Jesus's disciples was a physician. So medicine and healthcare has been around since way back when. God has trained up and given knowledge, experience, and training. There are experts in the field. And yes. when you know your expertise ends and you need somebody else's to step in and take over, 
accept that and consider it another gift from God because he trained them up, let them get educated, let them get knowledge, experience. They worked together and it was a big blessing at the end. Wow, that's just an amazing way to look at it. Um, in our society, especially in uh, Western society, we abhor death. We run away from it. We hide from it. Being a part of a process such as you have been has really uh, helped you, and now you're helping others see this process in a totally different way. It doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be abhorrent. In fact, there are moments of joy that you experience. Um, as you said, the quality of your relationship uh, began to improve or change because all, all you had to do was sit and be with your daughter. You didn't yeah. have to worry about the uh, other care issues that you've been dealing with for years because the hospice people took care yeah. of her, but they also helped to take care of you. And, and do you think that that might have helped free up your mind to do the next thing that you need to do as part of your journey? Uh, absolutely. It absolutely did because um, it just freed up your time. It freed up your headspace. It just you, you know, you did have that time to relax. You did have that time to just enjoy another person's company without having to do the chores at the same time. You know, multitasking can be very overrated at times. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, I don't like multitasking anymore. But there was that time period where it was autopilot, as you put it, and you just did it because it was obligatory and it was time management. And so now, given different choices and different help, you know, now I don't have to multitask. I can sit here and enjoy this 10 or 15 minutes and do nothing and keep my mind uncluttered with unnecessary things because I have shifted that to somebody else. So now that's one less thing I have to do this day in the next 15 minutes. Moving forward. As things began to progress for your daughter, you made some uh, plans for yourself mm -hmm. in terms yes. of what you want to do. And I think this is so important, if you could share this with the um, listeners, it's so important because there truly is life after a loved one passes. And you have the opportunity to try to prepare for that life, not after the fact, but even before it happens. So talk about what you did uh, in preparation for that. Well, with me, I mean, so many things came together pretty much simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And some of it was planned. Some of it was unforeseen. But I think, you know, divine intervention lined it up so that it, it, it worked out. You know, it couldn't have been planned, scripted by me any better without that divine intervention. So what happened, you know, my daughter was um, in, in, in her um, hospice facility and at that time, I felt like I was ready to stop working. And I had thought about retirement three or four years prior to that. And I was like, you know, one thing I did was I got my life, like my finances, my budget and things like that under total control, total management. So when it was time to retire, I always knew I wanted to move south, relocate. So I um, got everything in order years before so that when it was time to go, I would have little to do other than pick up and go. So we got to that point, my daughter was in hospice, I decided on a retirement date, 
And while she was in the hospice facility, I started making preparations to relocate. And I was able to get housing and get everything in order. And I was able to go back and forth to see her and start setting up my new house. And so when my daughter did eventually go to heaven, I had a new house sitting, waiting for me to just move in and step into my new life. And this is the thing about, you know, so many things come into play with this, especially having talked to friends and family and different ones. You know, there's a lot of people that don't like to do funerals, don't like to do um, memorials and all this. They want to remember the person as they were. And I guarantee you, if you ever go to a memorial service or a funeral service, you don't just remember that from a person you loved and cared about. You have so many other memories you know, that may overshadow that. You never forget the fun, the good times, the years. You just don't forget it because you go to a funeral. Right. So right. I say that because that might help a lot of people. I don't mm -hmm. buy into it. You know, nobody really likes funerals or memorials, but they're a necessary part of life. And they do help you stop one thing and start another mm -hmm. in terms of transitioning. So it's important in a lot of ways, but I assure you, you do not just have one final memory of somebody you cared about. So, um, you know, I say that because, you know, people have all sorts of ideas about end of life and, you know, it's individual and it's personalized. So, you know, at my end, I decided to retire. My daughter was in hospice. I was able to start establishing a new home while somebody else was taking care of her. And I had my finances and budget together where I was able to see her and go do a little bit of something, come back and be with her and sit with her. And so it was just lovely that, you know, it was arranged where, you know, I had that. So when she actually went to heaven, I was able to go to my new life and start from that point forward. And part of my um, healing and transitioning was writing the book about her. That's just to me so amazing. Uh, and um, first of all, I wish I was that organized. I, 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 that's just not in my personality. I, you know, uh, my husband's the one who's more organized, thank God, in that area, not me. But the thing that is so amazing is the gift uh, that this experience has given you to be able to share with others. Starless House is uh, one of the books that you wrote that is about uh, your journey. What is it that you want people to take away from reading that book? What is it that you want them to learn? Um, there are so many things, but one thing I would like to reflect on is um, I always knew I would write a book about her, but I was busy working, taking care of her. When was I going to sit down and have focused time to do it? And amazingly, um, you know, after she transitioned, I retired, I had time and opportunity to sit and focus you know, and compile this book and put things together. And what I want people to know, it's no matter um, who you're taking care of or who in your life, you love them from the beginning to the end. And writing is therapeutic and it's healing. It helps unclutter your mind. It helps you discover what your true emotions are. And it helps you go from, you're going to go through a whole bunch of different emotions and grief 
transition. It's a process. It's a journey. It doesn't happen instantaneously. It doesn't happen all at once. It is just going to take, you know, some time and allow yourself to feel each emotion you feel. Allow yourself to, you know, just take it day by day and just get in tune with who you are and who you're becoming because even though you've lost a loved one, you're still in this world evolving. And um, just take your time about it and acknowledge every emotion you feel. You know, there are so many emotions that you don't stay in any one for too long of a period of time. Things come, things go. And you just keep moving forward and always try to get focused and balanced and centered. And, you know, keep your mind free of clutter. Your mind is like a closet. You have to get in there and keep that thing somewhat organized and get rid of the clutter and the mess. Yes, that is true. That is so true because we, and you know, I was thinking about that this morning when I was going through my morning meditations, I was just asking God, help me to clean out those things that have long since passed that I keep replaying in my mind. I call them my cavalcade of, of atrocities that I play through my mind every morning. You know, why did I do this? I wish I hadn't done that. I was wrong to do this. Yeah. And some of these things go all the way back to junior high school. Okay. And of course I have a new collection every day. It's something. And I'm really asking God to, to help me to learn how to get rid of that stuff and to forgive myself. It's not so much about whether others forgive you or not. That's between them and God. You have no control over that, but you can control how you treat yourself, the changes you take yourself through over things that have long since passed that you have no control over. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about it, you know, what I started doing um, for me, and this has been very helpful, you know, I have a, a evening prayer before I go to bed for the day, and I'll reflect on the day. What did I accomplish today? How did I behave today? Is there anybody, any person, any situation I need to revisit and say, I'm sorry I acted that way. I'm sorry I didn't follow through with that like I should have. Is there anything about this day that I need to revisit tomorrow because I mishandled it, misspoke, or, you know, didn't thoroughly explain it. And so what happens at the end of the day when I just have that moment to reflect in a broad general way of what I did, who I interacted with, is that ready to go to sleep now or do I need to revisit it briefly tomorrow to make sure it's right? And it just keeps stuff out of my head that doesn't need to be there. And, you know, some things once they've done and passed, they're just over. Other things, uh, I was rude to the clerk at the post office because I was in a hurry and short-tempered, didn't get enough sleep, and I kind of, uh, you know, didn't use my, you know, courteous voice with her. Mm -hmm. And so next time I go in there, she's there, I'll tell her, I, I met you on a bad day, and I'm sorry about that, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's little things that'll just keep you you know, as a better person. Yes. Yes. That's true. You know, and little that's things true. like that, you know, and, and so just a few minutes of evening reflection and morning reflection to set the tone, the space, the pace and the attitude of what you need to do is kind of helpful to me. So I'm only taking care of what is needed for this day instead of carrying junk. I only carry with me what is needed for, for that day. 
Yeah. And August, when you really take a look at the sum total of all of your experiences and the journey that you have been on, what would you say was the key thing that you have learned that has aided you most along your journey as a caregiver? Um, I, just learning that everything is not always about me. You know, it's important to take care of me and keep me healthy. But the funny thing, while we're trying to do our best for another person, it improves who we are. Yes. And I think that is just something because if I've taken very good care of the person I'm responsible for, I've given them peace, I've given them therapy, I've, um, you know, fixed up their environment so they see pretty things and peaceful things. Um, next thing I know, that's included in who I am and what I like in my day. So, you know, you get you give them your best, but at the same time, you're benefiting from the best you've given them. Yes. It, that's so true. You're so full of wisdom. That's why I love talking to you, August. You inspire me. And you it's really, vice versa. <laughs> and you really give me some things to think about. I wrote that down because that's true. Sometimes we have a tendency to make everything about us. And in reality, it really isn't. That's just how myopic we can become when we stay inside our head. So I wrote down on a sticky note and I put it right in front of my keyboard here. Is everything is not always about you, Linus. <laughs> And you know, it's so awesome. It's so awesome because, you know, that is the very thing that will allow us to seek justice and empowerment for everybody we meet because yes. it's not just about us, but we are benefactors of what we give everybody else. Amen. And thank you. We are a benefactor of your wisdom and your grace and your ability to share with us something that's so precious to you. And thank you so much for being a part of the Wellness Journey podcast series. It's been wonderful to have you, August, here on the show. And it was such a pleasure, as always, talking with you, Linus. I love your spirit and I love your willingness to help others so that we all can be our best and keep growing toward that. Thank you. And for those of you who are, are ready now, you got to get ready. You got to click on that link there. It says Starless House and also Letters That We Have Never Sent and Magnolia, all three of her titles, and she's got more coming along the way. Just click on those links and it will lead you to where you can go and purchase these wonderful books by August Pettigrew. Thank you so much for joining us on the Wellness Journey podcast series, Changes and Transitions. I hope that you have enjoyed this series. Please take a look at the other shows. We cover a lot of different topics, all designed to help you to thrive and to be well in midlife in your mind, body, and spirit. This is Linus with Wellness Woman 40 and Beyond. You're listening to the Wellness Journey podcast series. We'll see you again next time. <laughs>